Hello, everyone. I'm Al Grego, and this is the Yes, We Are Open podcast. Today, I'm in Union Station, Toronto, Canada's busiest transportation facility and the second busiest railway station in North America with over 72 million passengers each year. Built in 1927, the station placed stop to passenger and commuter trains, buses, and the subway. Over 300,000 travelers move through the station every single day, most of them commuters. For 15 years, I was one of them, coming in every weekday from my home about an hour north of the city. Union Station today is very different from the one I began using all those years ago. The station has underwent a major $800 million renovation. This transformation has turned Union Station into one of the world's most engaging civic destinations, according to their website. And being here today, I can't really argue that it isn't an impressive space. Currently, I'm on the Front Street Promenade, street level, headed to today's destination, Peace Collective. I'm welcomed into the store by a sign on the window with the slogan, Home is Toronto. This store certainly makes no secret of its allegiance. Everywhere I look are caps, t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies, and more with that slogan, or the slogan, Toronto versus everybody, or with Toronto sports team logos. What's your name? My name is Torian. I'm the store manager for our Union Station location. Very nice. How long have you been here? I've been with Peace Collective since 2017. Sorry, your name is? My name is Danique. How long have you been here? I've been here for about not even a year yet, actually. Oh, very yeah. nice. Well, I mean, not a great time to start a <laughs> retail career. No, I actually, I was hired at the Ossington location um, right before the last lockdown we had. So that was interesting. I didn't really get to practice my uh, sales stuff, but now I'm at Union Station and lots of traffic. It's not a huge store, but it doesn't have to be because its genius is not only in the amount of foot traffic that passes their window every single day, but also the kind of traffic they can get on days where there are sporting events. You see, Union Station is connected to the Scotiabank Arena, home of the Toronto Maple Leafs and Raptors, and it's only a few blocks away from the Rogers Centre, home of the Toronto Blue Jays. If you're from out of town and you want to attend any major sporting event in Toronto, you're likely to go through Union Station. Right now, you know, the Blue Jays have been really great having that collection. So again, Union was meant to always be like a store that kind of represents our fan collective collections. So showing off like, you know, the Raptors, the Jays, uh, some of our NHL and we have those things like the new Hockey Night in Canada collection. And it's also morphed into being like a little bit of a souvenir shop for tourists. So you'll get like the fun little things like the keychains and these like collector cuts have tees like the Homeless Toronto's with the Honest Eds and things like that. So, Looking around the store, you can tell that it's certainly targeted at the Toronto sports fan. But then I turn around and notice another wall with a message that reads, every purchase provides two healthy meals to a Canadian child in need. To me, this makes them more than just a clothing store. This makes them a story worth telling. To tell it, I'll need to go for a bit of a drive. I've arrived at an industrial mall in Mississauga, literally minutes from Pearson International Airport. 
This is where I find the headquarters for Peace Collective. From the outside, there isn't much to look at, but when I enter the unit, it opens up to a pleasant common space with tables, and on two sides of the space are offices. This is where I meet Roman. My name is Roman Hesri. I'm one of the partners at Peace Collective. My title is the head of growth. I am primarily responsible for the brand's external relationships, whether those are licensing deals, retail distribution, or corporate partnerships or brand-to-brand -brand collaborations. Peace Collective started in the year 2014. Our founder, Yanal, uh, he had the idea for the clothing line when he was in university. He had the name and the sort of concept behind it. Myself and Yanal, we go back, like we've been friends since grade seven. So a lot, a lot of years, 16, 17 years. After we were both done university, we tried a couple businesses together. They didn't really do that well. He had read a book by Blake Mykofsky. Um, I think the title was Start Something That Matters. And it's all about like having a one-for-one -one model with uh, your brand and like, you know, how to make an impact with like your company. And that's why Peace Collective from the beginning had the one-for-one -one model. So for every garment that we sold at the beginning, we used to donate to the World Food Program. And then from there, like we've kind of evolved through a few different charities uh, to where we are now. Lisa, we met a year after we had the idea and we were kind of working through it. She had some really great skills that me and Yanal didn't possess. She came from the retail world. Uh, you know, she had a lot of operational skills that me and Yanal didn't have and she really helped take the brand to the next level. Initially, we were all three of us were kind of working our daytime jobs while doing this kind of on the side. Um, and then as the brand kind of grew, we all kind of took our turn to quit our full-time job and join the brand full-time. So talk about those first, those early days. So 2014, you guys have this idea, you're gonna do this. What was the first order of business? What did you have to do to, to start the business? So at the beginning, um, it was just all the idea and seeing how we can kind of, you know, start designing a few different products. So we had designed a few different products and then we did a little bit of a photo shoot. Everything was just, you know, new. There was not like, as many tutorials on how to do things now. So we just got to learn as you kind of go. And then he learned a little bit of graphic design, a little bit of Photoshop. So that kind of helped things out. And then the importance of everything that we were doing was tied to Instagram. Like Instagram was a great platform to kind of start your business and share that with the world. At the time, the feed was chronological, so it was really easy to get seen. Like, you don't kind of get lost in the noise. And it just started out as, like, you know, having a really cool brand on Instagram. Like, you know, that was aesthetically pleasing to the eye. That was really clean photography. The designs were minimal um, and just did really well on Instagram. And that's what really kind of gave us the springboard to continuing to kind of grow it. Can you think of a time or a catalyst? Was there somebody who shared a, a post or something on Instagram that kind of, holy, you know, holy crap, look at all yeah. the flowers we just got? Um, there was a time we were doing this and like, I remember me and you now were sitting at a Starbucks uh, by our house and uh, we were thinking about kind of quitting because it wasn't really going as we had planned it, uh, planned out. And um, we we're just having conversations like, okay, this was just maybe one of those other ideas that we had that 
kind of ran its course. But then as we were kind of sitting there, Blog.to shared an article, and I still remember to this day, the headline was like, Toronto t-shirt brand feeds the children or something like that. And uh, that article really blew up and, you know, it showcased one of like our main designs and it got like a lot of visitors to the website, yeah. a lot of followers on Instagram. And that was like our, like our big sales moment. And that kind of gave us the reassurance that, okay, hey, we're on the right track. We're doing something. This is, this is a worthwhile idea. And then down the road was probably when we got to collaborate with Lululemon. We initially did it on a small scale with like their Toronto stores. It was just a more of a community thing that Lululemon was doing and really helped us out. And then the Toronto collaboration did so well that Lululemon's like national Canadian office had reached out and they wanted to do more of a national Canada wide campaign. And then them obviously posting and shouting us out on Instagram and shouting out the collab and the collab did phenomenal. Like it sold out, uh, I think in the first day. But yeah, that was, that was another really big moment. We got a lot, a lot of followers that day, um, really grew the brand and really gave us legitimacy because like we were partnering with a company like Lululemon. So wait a minute, you guys, so you and your partner were, were meeting for drinks or a coffee, already thinking this, okay, it was a good try. Yeah, it was, it was a, good a good run, yeah. And then this blog TO article comes out. It was crazy, like, wow. honestly, like I kind of get goosebumps thinking about it because it was like, you know, when you think about it, like if that didn't happen at that point in time, Peace Collective wouldn't be where it is today. And then after the Lululemon thing, I think what was really great was um, the viral moment we had with the Blue Jays. All eyes on the mound and the bearded Sam Dyson. Now he comes set, kicks the 1-1 pitch. Fly ball deep left field. Yes, sir, there she goes. Like Jose Batista did the backflip and then wore like um, our apparel afterwards to the press conferences and stuff like that. So that moment really went viral. And then everybody in the city was kind of like, yo, where do I get that? Where do I get that stuff? And so was he wearing it as just a, a fan of the, of the brand or did you guys have a deal with him? Or? Uh, you know, I had a contact. Um, he was like, hey, like, let's like, I want to give the Blue Jays, um, you know, can you get me like, what was it like 30 sweaters by this day? And I do remember there was some hesitance on our part because we were like, yeah, right, like, you know, but you know, you got at those point in time, you gotta like take those chances. So yeah, we made the, we made the sweaters and we sent it out to them. And it was just coincidental that like the moment that they wore it was during that viral moment of the bat flip. It was to the point where like Jose Batista actually shouted out the company on his Instagram. So shout out to him. Like that was like, I guess a very viral moment that a lot of people in Toronto who didn't know who we were, who might've just seen a sweater around. They were like, oh, that's Peace Collective. Okay. And then we had more sales in that one day than we did in the entire year. We reached out to the Blue Jays to collaborate officially yeah. because it's like, hey, they're the players who are wearing this stuff, the fans want it, how do we get it into the stadium? That turned into a licensing deal with the MLB that led to like our like bread and butter, which is like licensed products, yeah. which are these collabs that's like really helped the brand grow over the years. And once you once we've locked down the MLB license, then you know, 
the rest kind of like came very naturally like you're wearing a raptors mask like you know um when we had reached out with the raptors to like get a license with the nba sorry they were already looking for us they were like hey it's it's funny you guys reached out because we were going to reach out very soon I think our niche in licensing, I don't think anyone is like us. I think there have been some other licensees that, you know, do similar things. But for us, we've like really been able to create fan apparel that can be worn to the game and away from the game. It's more modern, it's more fashionable. It's like, you know, you want to showcase your pride in the Raptors uh, or the Blue Jays, but you don't want to wear like a big shirt with like the big logo. You want to do it in something that's like on trend, yeah. something that you might wear to a night out with friends. So we carved out that niche and that really, that approach really helped us um, grow the licensing business and like offer customers something that they weren't able to find in market. We have a really good supply chain. All of it's been like vetted, audited. We have really large corporate partners like you guys, like McDonald's, um, you know, really big corporate clients that we've had to do like make sure that all of our factories are audited and up to like all the all the standards. Uh, so we're proud to say that we're doing that as well. And then we've taken a big step towards sustainability. Um, we've launched on-demand manufacturing for a lot of our garments. So we've built out an infrastructure where customers can buy a product and we can make it from scratch within three to six days. So that helps us reduce our carbon footprint. We don't have to produce as much waste. We don't have to guess if a product's going to sell. Um, so that's, I think, been like another one of our really competitive advantages in this field. Yeah, our first store was uh, our Ossington flagship. We were selling thousands of dollars of product every week to stores on Queen Street. And we just thought like, wait a minute, you know, if there's so much demand on Queen Street, why don't we open our own store? We didn't want to just come out with the clothing store because I think that was easy. We wanted to come out with a new concept that, you know, didn't really exist in Toronto that would drive a lot of like, you know, media and hype and people wanting to come in. Um, and so we decided to open Peace Streets, which was an over-the-top milkshake bar. We need something that's super Instagrammable, that people would want to come in and share their experience of being in the space. Like that, that's like, you know, that leads me to my bigger point that retail has to be experiential these days. It can't just be like a plain store. The Union Station store took a little bit of time to come together. We had signed the lease around the same time as when we had like, you know, opened Ossington pretty early on. The, the company, the leasing company, they're called Bole, shout out to them, uh, super awesome people. Uh, they reached out to us and they're like, hey, you know, Union Station is transforming into this retail hub. We have a store for you. And for me, I used to work in the financial district. So like I knew how much foot traffic was there. You, you guys were part of the re rejuvenation. Yes. Union Station. Yeah, we were like one of the, we were the first, like Front Street Promenade was the first kind of like uh, step in that. And we were one of the first stores to open up. So I just jumped on that opportunity. I just bought into their vision. I'm like, dude, this is amazing. It fit in really well with what we're doing. We do sports licensed products. All the Blue Jays fans, the Raptors right. fans, the right. Leafs fans, they all go through there. So that was a home run. And that story is like, man, per square foot, the sales, we had some like crazy, crazy like days there. Um, obviously when the Raptors won the championship, having a store there was like amazing. Yeah. Honestly, like that, that's been a really great opportunity for us to be like ingrained in the city and part of the city. 
Up next, Peace Collective is the hot new brand in Toronto, thanks to some lucky breaks, but a lot of hard work by its founders. They're growing fast, and malls across the country are lined up to open their new locations. So why didn't they? We'll find out next. You're listening to Yes, We Are Open. Peace Collective founders Yunel, Roman, and Lisa have created a great Canadian clothing brand that not only designs trendy clothing, they also give back to those less fortunate. Things seem to be going smoothly for the young brand, but then adversity hits. So in the past seven years, if you were talking about a time or a challenge you guys faced that almost took you down, what would that be? Probably 2018, uh, we were at the height of how many stores we had. We had the Union Station store, we had our Ossington store, we had just opened up a pop-up in Yorkdale and we had just opened up a pop-up in Square One. Business was really good. Online was doing well. The stores were doing so well that we thought, you know, hey, this is the model we want to chase. We want to be in all the malls. So at this point, like, you know, because Yorkdale is so successful and Square One is so successful, we have all the different mall companies in Canada, uh, Cadillac, Fairview, and, and the other big two, they were talking to us and wanting us to open all across Canada and at that time we're like yeah makes sense why wouldn't we the demand is there like we should we, we have to devise a strategy on how we can do this uh, we have to create a playbook and like really run with this so that meant like you know overextending ourselves and hiring really big roles that we probably weren't ready for to have in the company and trusting that like, you know, those roles would translate into like being able to expand like this. Obviously the expansion was not gonna be overnight. So we took on the salaries, understanding that it's gonna be a little bit of an investment until like we get there. But what happened was Yorkdale, the pop-up finished, it was successful, the square one was going on. But then we started seeing little dips in sales um, when it came to like square one, uh, when it came to like Ossington and now like our overhead had ballooned up really high so we couldn't afford to like you know see the slowdowns that we were seeing like we would have certain days where we would just break even or we'd be in the red you know we're like okay let's just tough out the storm there's a light at the end of the tunnel and we're gonna like expand and all this is gonna be open but for that type of move what we were trying to do you need millions in the bank you need investment you need to be able to burn cash and like not really worry until like you're back up and running and we weren't doing that what do you attribute the slowdown to was there any one thing that you could point at and say this is why I think like we still guess to this day. I just think fashion is cyclical, right? When you're new and fresh in the malls, everyone's gonna wanna come visit because they wanna see what you're all about. And we had like a really cool concept because we had a milkshake bar in our store. So we used to get a lot of just traction with that. But once like that newness is gone and you're there for like six months, you really don't really have the traffic. Some fast fashion brands like people are gonna continuously go to because they're able to price apparel. Like and they have a model for it. We just didn't have the model for it, right? And yeah, we weren't ready for that dip in sales and stuff. And then we started burning cash month after month, you know, with this like big overhead. We'd grown so quickly and we'd brought on a lot of people. And then like when the revenue wasn't there to justify it, it started really hurting the business. And like in a matter of, I'd say like five to six months, we were in a really bad situation where we're like, you know, we could go belly up if we continue this. How close did you guys get? 
I'd say pretty close. We had some really tough conversations. We definitely did some contingency planning. You know, there was times where we didn't pay ourselves so that like, you know, we can make payroll for like everybody else. Um, it's just some difficult dark times, I would say. Um, but, you know, we sat in a room and we figured it out. We got to the bottom of it and we just said, listen, we're an e-commerce brand. What do we do well? We're able to like, you know, market really well. We're able to like really in this new technological age, like have a good brand presence online. Let's just focus on the good and like have retail as a component of our business, not our main business. Right. Like we had transformed to make retail our main business where like it was always e-commerce. That's how we started. That's where our bread and butter was. That's what we did really well. So once we went back to that, we made the decision to close down square one um, and we just kind of contracted a little bit, even with staffing, kind of consolidated the offices into the one office. That was not only just to get a bigger space, but it actually saved us a lot of costs. Like our this, this office costs as much as our 2,000 or 3,000 square foot office downtown. And this is 12,000 square feet plus like 3,000 up here. So obviously you're not going to get this value downtown. But yeah, that was a tough moment. So we kind of contracted and we went back to our roots and we started just doing things again from the ground up and then looked at like just revenue generating ideas. Like how can we generate more revenue as a business? And then like a lot of that went into like our digital marketing strategy and going on that side of the business. But then also I think what's kind of born at that period of time was what many people don't know about is we have a thriving corporate business um, where we work with a lot of different corporate clients, whether it's like on employee merch for their conventions, campaigns, we can offer. And that was also like a different sort of revenue source that didn't exist prior to that. So we had to kind of dig deep and look at all other areas in the business. And now that's another thriving part of what we do at Peace Collective. It's another subsidiary company. It's called Ready, Set, Go. On the, on the front end with Peace Collective, naturally with all of our partnerships and everything like that, that kind of just naturally brought us out of that hole. So it's just to give an idea of the, the kind of the growth and the, the, the contraction that happened and, and we'll talk about what's happening now, but you guys started with two of you. At, at your height, how, how many people were in, in Peace Collective? This number is debated on a lot because when you count all the retail staff, I think we were close to like 70, 80 people. Oh, okay. So it was a lot of people, right? Because yeah. um, the retail stores would take a lot of staff, especially Square One in Yorkdale, they, they would have a lot of staff. Lisa says like we were somewhere in the 90s, you know, doesn't agree. I think like, yeah, we were definitely up there. You know, now obviously I know everybody in the company and sure. we're a little bit smaller, we're about 30 people. Um, it's a lot more manageable. We haven't even grown to that size again. Right. Coming up after the break, we find out whether Roman, Yunel, and Lisa's efforts to save their young business paid off. This podcast is sponsored by Moneris. As a business owner, change comes at you fast. That's why Moneris is right by your side as you innovate and adapt so you can get paid. With solutions for businesses of all shapes and sizes, we're proud to help Canadians like you achieve their goals. From online, in-store, curbside, and pickup solutions, Moneris is there to help your business succeed every step of the way. To talk to one of our business advisors, call one 866 or visit Moneris.com. Welcome back to Yes, We Are Open. With some great sacrifice and some strategic maneuvering, Yunel, Roman, and Lisa were able to pivot and refocus Peace Collective's business model to more closely reflect what got them there in the beginning. Their online and social presence, along with great design, of course. 
and not a moment too soon as the pandemic hit hard and many businesses were sent scrambling to get online. Peace Collective was already there and very comfortable in the space. All right, so you guys uh, started in 2014. Uh, you open up your first couple of stores in 2015, 16. Things were looking really good and you grow really quickly. And then and you learn a lesson, a hard lesson, I guess. So now you're forced to streamline, to, to become more efficient. The pandemic hits. Uh, how are you guys doing now? We're good now. I would say like, I'll go back to the beginning of the pandemic because I'm sure like everybody was scrambling. And for us to, um, let me just kind of paint a picture. So the year before the Raptors had won the NBA championship, right. we had this record year um, as a company in sales and everything. And we're gearing up for another really big year with the Raptors because they have a good team and all of our sports licensed products. We've invested so much Right. in sports licensed products because we're like we're gonna have another really big year with that type of product mm -hmm. and then the pandemic hits and all the leagues shut down yeah so like there goes like all of our collection plans out the window we're like we can't it's like tone deaf to be like hey here's a raptors products and people are like staying in their house and stuff like that so it was definitely scary at first, had to shut down this office. Everybody went remote and then it just went into like, you know, me and my partners, we just started just getting into a room and like, okay, what do we do? How do we pivot from here? And uh, I'll credit you now very early on. And this is like our suppliers locally in Canada. Like we have some really, really good suppliers and they're super on the ball. Um, we had collections planned out with them and they said, and when we had to cancel those collections, they came back to the table and they're like, why don't you guys create face masks? And this is before people, like face masks are not even mandated. Go back to like March uh, 2020, like nobody's wearing face masks at this point. So this is you guys being innovative. This is us being innovative. Yeah. So we're like, you know, hey, let's go more into loungewear because now everyone's working from home. <laughs> let's come out with um, matching uh, face masks to like our sweatsuits and run with that. And honestly, was another like home run. You know, with every product that we launch, we always have like a good, um, you know, we always try to give back and with the face masks, um, you know, obviously a lot of a lot of money going to like COVID-19 relief, um, di directing our donations to food banks, a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, and yeah, it just kind of, it carried us. It carried us throughout, like, you know, we definitely didn't hit the numbers we were gonna hit maybe that we were projecting with the sports license products, but it, it, it came real close to that. It did really well. Then afterwards, it was just kind of like naturally the sports license, the sports leagues opened up. So we started being able to do some of those things. I don't think we've recovered 100% because we had a big business with a wholesale business with teams, like with people going to stadium with us being carried in team shops and stuff like that. So that part of the business, that wholesale side of the business hasn't really recovered yet, but we grew a lot. And I think a lot of e-commerce companies can say this, that we grew a lot on the uh, during the pandemic because people were just generally shifting from buying in store to buying online because they just didn't have a choice. And you guys um, were already set up for that. Yeah, we were just set up right place, right time. I think like as an entrepreneur, that's one thing I've learned. Like you just, you know, you gotta be prepared for your moment. Like 
if you are in the right place at the right time and you're prepared to capitalize, then that's when you're going to have the best success. So like for us, I think like just sticking like, you know, true to our industry and our core competencies and doing what we're doing. And then our kind of moment came when we were like ready to come to the table with the masks, with sweatsuits. And that did really well for us as a brand. Can you talk a little bit about some of the things that came out of uh, 2020 uh, PC designer fund? Oh yeah. And the PC community fund. Yeah. Both amazing programs that we are still running to this day that have evolved a little bit. Um, so obviously 2020 was just not only the pandemic, but we saw a lot of really like social injustices going on with respect to the African-American community um, and the whole BLM movement. And as a brand, you know, I'm proud to say that like, you know, our leadership team and everybody at the company, we're all from like different cultures and background and races and stuff like that. And not many people might know that, right? Like I'm from Afghanistan and you know what's kind of going on there oh, right wow. now. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, I was from Palestine, Lisa's Vietnamese. So, but when a lot of these things happen to other minorities, it does strike a chord with us. And it's amazing that we have the platform to do something about it. And so when all that stuff happened and maybe other brands were too timid, to do anything, we're like, okay, we're gonna take action. Like, what can we do? But we still have to stay in our lane. We're not gonna do something that's not natural to us. So we're like, let's, you know, create the PC Designer Fund, which is giving black artists and creators a platform to design products and sell products, not only to further their business, but also give back to the charities that matter to them. Right. And in the Designer Fund, it was the same thing. We were kind of just like funding um, that process. And that has now evolved into the peace market. Now it's open to all creators from all different backgrounds and races and communities and they're able to kind of come on and use our platform to launch their products to not only help kickstart their business but also give back to the causes that matter most to them yeah. and we've had some really great participants on that this year already so let's talk about outlook feels like we're, we're coming out of the pandemic slowly but surely hopefully you've mentioned that you are opening you have plans to open another store it's 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 going to open soon so what what's what does the future look like for the peace club yes we are going to open another store um for those of you who don't know we closed our ossington flagship i think you know we had a great run in ossington but another another sort of uh, opportunity presented itself that we kind of couldn't turn down. Everybody, I think at this point knows, so I'm happy to share it. We're going to be opening a, a store in the distillery district. Um, so it's going to be smack dab right there, yeah. um, right when the Christmas market's happening, like close to the Christmas tree. So we got a really good space there, really big. Um, and we're going to be doing another like one of a kind concept in there. I don't want to share too much about that, but you know, you guys are going to have to like wait and see. So that's kind of it on the retail side of things. And then we're going to continue to grow on the online side, um, still continue to do what we're doing. I think, you know, we have four really strong product lines that we continuously release product around. We have really good give backs that we have um, going on. And like we have our North Star goal as a company, which is to raise a million dollars for the cause causes and charities that our communities care about by the year 2030. And how, can you update us? Sure, sure. So I think we, I think the goal launched uh, last year and we're pretty much close to 200,000 or a little bit over 150,000. So we're tracking to almost double. So we should, if we're going the way that we're going, we should be able to do donate $2 million by the year 2030. So that feels really good. 
I'm ecstatic about the relationship that we have with Moneris. I think like, you know, there's a lot of different fronts that we kind of work together on and it's great to have a corporate partner that like, you know, it's a really reciprocal relationship. Uh, you guys not only provide us the tools that we need to be successful in um, what we're doing, but also uh, on uh, also support us when it comes to all the different kind of initiatives and programs that we do have. So we really appreciate it. That's a story of Peace Collective. It'd be easy to describe their initial rise as pure luck and being in the right place at the right time. When you think back to that blog TO article or Lululemon or the bat flip. But I don't really believe in luck. Roman philosopher Seneca is credited as saying, luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. I like to think that those opportunities were going to happen anyway. If Peace Collective weren't prepared for them, someone else would have reaped those benefits. And the fact that they were able to weather the storm of their initial success to have such a positive outlook today, that is a bigger testament to the idea and people behind Peace Collective. I look forward to seeing where they go from here. Yes, We Are Open is a Moneris podcast production. I'd like to thank Roman Hessery and the rest of the folks at Peace Collective for taking the time to share their story. You can learn more about Peace Collective at peace-collective.com. You can also like or follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where they're at Peace Collective. For more information about this podcast, visit our site, yesweareopenpodcast.com. If you'd like to support us, rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're a Canadian small business owner or know of one with an interesting story of perseverance to tell, I'd love to help tell it. You can contact me at podcast at Tune in next week for another story of small business struggle and survival on the Yes We Are Open podcast. I'm Al Grego. Thank you for listening.